Welcome to the GM Yearbook. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome to version 1998. Feels like a long time since we visited the 90s, Jim. Yeah. We've, we've already done versions for 95, 97, and 99. So we're coming close to putting the late 90s to bed. And I think I can speak for both of us, knowing how those reviews went for those years, that we should do 1996 right away so we never have to come back. <laughs> well, well, the greatest <laughs> album of all time was released in 1996, but I'll mention that when we get there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, 1998 was a really weird year for me. And to go into these now, these years it is strange to revisit them because i think we came out of the early 90s with such grand music and in retrospect now we're realizing how much it fell apart and turned to crap yeah. <laughs> as a decade yeah. it, it just digressed and digressed and digressed until it finishes with trl oh <laughs> but, jesus yeah but I, I had to dig around for my five and once i did settle in on them i was happy to bring them to the playlist and talk about music today before we go too far down the road, we should say goodbye to some people we lost in 1998. We'll start with Tammy Wynette, a true influential legend in country music. She mm -hmm. released some iconic country music in the late 60s. I Don't Want to Play House, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, and Stand By Your Man. She was only 55 when she passed away. I'm really looking forward to the George and Tammy series and hearing her music take on a new life. Depending when you're listening, that show may have already started. <laughs> That's true. I'm really looking forward to it as well. Her life story is really interesting. I rewatched some old made-for-TV movie on YouTube. That oh, was, really? Yeah, that was about her life story. It, it, but it was interesting right off the bat. And I read up quite a bit more about her when we did our country music episode a couple of weeks ago. What surprised me the most is how much she contributed, but how little you hear about her today. You have all those outlaws and cowboys that get a free pass for being bad guys back in the 70s, but somehow Tammy never got that free pass, and she deserves that too, regardless of how rough her life got. Yeah, it's usually not too well accepted when it's a woman being a badass. Yeah, yeah, she was, you know, though. She especially was back then. She was good at it. <laughs> yeah, she was. Well, being married to George, you had to be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and speaking of iconic performers, Frank Sinatra also passed away in 1998. After Sinatra died, New York City paid silent tribute to Sinatra by bathing the top of the Empire State Building in blue light. And in Las Vegas, another city that Sinatra is known for, the lights on this trip were dimmed and the casino stopped spinning for exactly one minute. Oh, wow. That's uh, It's amazing to talk about Frank Sinatra because there are probably a bazillion stories or antidotes we could bring into the podcast but we don't want to do that. You know, yeah. he, he just, he had a larger than life persona from the Oscars to Grammys to bonafide mobsters. <laughs> I don't think we could pick one angle and try to define his life on this show in a little eulogy. <laughs> yeah, no way. He was well-liked by many, loved for his artistic contributions, and he was the leader of the iconic Rat Pack. But whether or not he was a good man, well, that would have depended upon who you asked back then. <laughs> There were a lot of people who died in 1998 that had a cultural impact on music at one point in their career. And I'm just going to mention a few of these people. Sonny Bono, Carl Perkins, Carl Wilson, Grandpa Jones from Hee Haw, Linda McCartney. She was a photographer, member of Wings and wife of Paul McCartney. And Eddie Rabbit, one of my and yours favorite country stars from the late 70s, early 80s. So we at least need to give all these people a mention on the show. 
yes, sometimes we feel like we spend too much time being the reaper or <laughs> other times not enough. It's kind of hard to find that balance. Sometimes these years like this, there's just too many and you don't want to be disrespectful, but we don't need to spend too much time on the depressing stuff. Yeah. Yep. All of those performers meant something to us at one point in our lives. So moving on to the music, Jim, really, how weird was 98 for you? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, first of all, we have some episodes where we're able to put some kind of connection in our life together to a story because we were playing music or sharing experience from that or we were just into collecting music or doing something at the time. I've got none of that to tell from 1998. This year is the year I set my guitar down for the first time and I had lost any desire to write or perform. And that was probably going to happen for the next three to four years until I started getting creative again. I talked in version 1997, how I'd gotten into pop music because of being the DJ for a summer camp dance each week. I spent the first two months of 1998 in Scotland, so cool place to be. And then the next three months, I was in a kitchen at a brew pub listening to mainly classic rock radio because I didn't have control of it. I didn't have control of the <laughs> tunes. But I, I remember hearing Closing Time by Semisonic a lot during that time. And it had a bit of sentimentality for me attached to it this week because I was reminiscing about closing down the pub at the end of the night and cleaning mm -hmm. down the kitchen and it was a brew pub and there was a lot of camaraderie amongst us. And, you know, the song closing time was on. We were all going to hang out after work. Those were good times in life. I remember in 1997, you said you were tearing down that wall of pretentiousness you had built up and you were able to just have fun with music again. Yeah. Um, and that may sound like, you know, we're talking out of both sides of our mouth, but it's completely possible to just live in the moment and have a short-term attachment to a song that, you know, not everything needs to carry on with you deep into your life. And you're right. I was in the same boat as you. These are good times. Yeah, I've talked about 1997 getting married. And in 1998, we bought this house and things were just going our way. And I had, hadn't picked up my guitar in a while. Um, I wasn't really feeling those creative juices flowing. Um, I do have some music, not a lot that I'm attached to be, because I do have strong memories around these late nineties because so much is going on in my life. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that though, it's time to play. What didn't Matt like? <laughs> I feel like I need a theme song for this. <laughs> uh, that's not a surprise. You need a theme song, Matt. <laughs> and even as the pop guy on this podcast, there was nothing I was attached to or sentimental about. And you're what you said earlier, just, just a few minutes ago about having short term attachments to songs I think pop music does that to you or songs with hooks. And when mm -hmm. people talk down the road about how they're so embarrassed, they like something once, I think it's because they had such an attachment to it, or at least for me, I know personally, I've had such an attachment to something that I've looked back on and gone, Oh, that, oh yeah. I, I, I probably shouldn't have gotten so into that song. And, <laughs> yeah. Know, run around telling everybody, listen to this one. <laughs> Yeah, if they hit you at the right age or with the right and or with the right crowd, it's so easy to get swept up into it. And, uh, you you know, you just get fatigued because yeah. you just listen to it so much. So I wrestled with that a lot, of, a lot this week. Well, just I, I would say that, you know, you're talking about that type of music. And there's probably stuff there that we'll talk about that I did like that way. But it was it was the pop charts. And I've always been able to come onto this show and say, Hey, 
there's this song in the top five or in the top 10 on the year that I really love this song and I'm going to admit it. I don't care. Yeah. How about this year? Uh-uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, I don't have it. Garbage. <laughs> yeah. So I went on Spotify and I challenged myself to listen to the Billboard Hot 100. <laughs> I'm sorry. For 1990. I do not. Do not. I can't stress this enough. I do not recommend that. I should have learned my lesson from, because I know I've lived through these conversations that we've had through the late 90s. And I should have known what I was getting in for. And the Spotify playlist or wherever you get a streaming playlist, there's so many songs hanging on from previous years that you got to research. Oh, was this a 98 or a 97? So hold on. I'm going to spiral into a rant here, but <laughs> just, to, just to sum it up, I don't know why we, why I go down this road because people probably understand I'm not going to like it, but there's just so much bad pop and R and B and it reinforced what we found in, in version 1997. Everything sounds so similar. Nothing had a personality of its own. I have to admit, I admire you for going into a year like this and automatically saying to yourself, I'm going to listen to probably everything I think sucks. <laughs> I'm going to torture myself, Jim. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to put myself <laughs> through it. Matt, That the sound from this year, and maybe it's one of the reasons why I don't like it, it was so homogenized. When we started the podcast, our second episode was 1986. I actually went through and read the notes from 1986 today while I was out on the road traveling because- I wanted to see if it did kind of match up with that feeling. And I think it does that drum sound in 86 that was driving you nuts. There's something mm -hmm. here in this music and I, I haven't put my finger on it. Maybe we never will, you know, we've already done some of the other years. So, yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's not there. Your issues with the sound. I'm getting that here. And I know some of the people that listen to the show will give me grief for this, but I think there's a lot of, imitation sound or trying to build on something or is this going to be famous or is that going to be famous so you had artists like Cher doing the believe song and that was the first song that had the auto-tune feature on a vocal oh, yeah or you had madonna's ray of light which was just kind of a oh i can do a club song too but neither mm -hmm. one of these songs were going to stay relevant as a lasting song in their career they're not going to stand the test of time so these women both put out excellent music early on in their careers, but it seems like this hanging on time and trying to go into whatever the sound is of 1998 just didn't work for them or for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't work for me either. <laughs> and, and I, I have the same, it's like nagging at the back of my brain. I can't picture it because it on the surface, it, the sound is good. You know, everything's kind of crystal clear. There's lots of good, interesting voices yeah but maybe it is the homogenous nature of it where everything sounds the same i mean you could just plop different voices into the song and you know all of a sudden it's a madonna song instead of a next song you know i i, I just don't get it <laughs> but it's the late 90s you know our 20s are starting to wind down it's some teenagers 1984 i'm sure so is every other year. So no excuses. <laughs> it just is not a big year in music at all. Okay. Oh man, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying not to rant. I'm filled with the holiday spirit, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm being nice. I just didn't dig it at all. I didn't dig it then. And I certainly don't now. I actually find it to be like back then, my reaction was, boy, I really hate that. But now it's like forgettable which is probably worse 
because it's not really getting well, some of them got a big response from me. <laughs> I hope that's the last time I ever hear, uh, I don't want to miss a thing or a non-low straight jackets version of my heart will go on. <laughs> I've got to look that up. I didn't realize that was a version. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. But, you know, please, it, I'd wish for a long, painful death before I had to listen to those songs again. And those two songs in particular, are you in there in that top five, that yearly end of the charts, they're overplayed to the point that right now, at least over here in the UK, something I've noticed is that my my heart will go on is a Christmas song, so it, it, they, don't, they don't play it all year long, and because the Titanic film came out over Christmas time, it gets played as part of the Christmas season rotation, and then it goes away for the rest of the year. Thank God, and then it's done. So over here in Britain, they really love to hang on to a cheesy ballad and song. And I'm glad this one got picked just for a season because there are pl plenty of other Christmas songs to play. So you don't hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the Aerosmith slash not written by Aerosmith song that died of old age. If you're nostalgic about this song, go listen to Mark Chestnut and the country music version. His version of I Don't Want to Miss a Thing is a much better country song. Yeah, that song definitely is suited more for country. That sounds I, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, let's get out more of this negativity <laughs> while okay. we're at it. Let, let's keep this negative train rolling um, because there's another elephant in the room. Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. This was an absolutely huge hit. And I, it's another one of those songs. I'm trying to separate the ideas in my head of is was this a bad song from the beginning or is it just <laughs> fatigue? I may have fallen on the side of fatigue. I, I don't think I ever need to hear it again. Whereas, you know, my heart will go on and I don't want to miss a thing. I never needed to hear them in the first place. I think it was probably fatigue. I mean, Goo Goo Dolls, they're going to fall in that same wheelhouse as Maxbox 20, you know, kind yeah. of maybe counting crows, not your edgy rock bands. They're very sensitive. Their songs are mainly ballads. They're very retrospective in their lyrics. I still have a sentiment attached to this song because a few years down the line, I married a young couple who worked at the steakhouse. I was their minister. We did the friends thing where they, like, in, they went to Joey and asked Joey to be the minister at the wedding. So he married, married Monica and Chandler. And I did that for my friends. And Iris was their wedding song. Uh, they're still together to this day. They have a beautiful daughter. And... I see it as a win-win. And when I hear this song, it actually reminds, I probably would have hated it if it hadn't had that <laughs> attachment. To it. I probably would have, I'd probably be right there with you, but I've got this, ah, that's that, that sweet moment in yeah. my life. And uh, that young couple, they're absolutely amazing. So, and actually one of them listens and votes on our, oh, awesome. um, on our, our weekly polls. So I'm sure oh, she'll go good. tell her husband that hear. we spoke about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hey, I said it was fatigue. I didn't yeah. say I didn't like the song. Oh, I'm right there. I, and I'm right there with you. But I have a good yep. reason to have sentiment attached to it. So as you were digging in, what were you finding? Uh, Really not much. <laughs> you know, the, the Spotify, the playlist, they weren't doing it for me. So I go back to the old standbys of, you know, lists of album releases and my own collection. What do you have? But yeah. Not much was really exciting. And not to keep up bringing 1997, 
but that was when Mark joined us and we had fun talking about the ska movement that was at least here in the, in the U S I, I know there's probably pockets of people that still love and cherish that music here, but it's not as prevalent as it was in 97 and ska was still lingering. You know, you still had the Boston's real big fish less than Jake. And I'm sure there's definitely others, but in 1998, we had Squirrel Nut Zippers, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, and the Brian Setzer Orchestra that were pushing a swing revival at the same time as the ska movement. Yeah, the swing revival, that was fun. It was cool to see that big band thing happening again. Mm. I, I have a lot of respect for musicians that play upright bass, the woodwind instruments, brass horns. That ensemble is just something that is amazes me to pull together on stage and tour and become successful that way because I know how hard it is sometimes for four guys in a room to create music and try to get along. So imagine touring with 20 people on the road. Oh, it's got to be something else. Well, at least you could pick and choose who you hung out with. That's true. Maybe that made it easier. You know, and this, this swing music, I mean, what had it, what it had all over pop was just, it felt authentic because there's like, there's dynamics in the music. It's yep. just not one level all the way through the song. Yeah. There's the give and the take that a song needs to, you know, to drag you in and tell a story to you. Yeah. At least. And seeing Brian Setcher come back around again was great. Yes, it was. Yeah. I, it was so much fun. I enjoyed him in the Stray Cats. You know, for someone who fits that kind of niche, they rarely get to come back around. So that was cool. There was something I put into the notes just today that I'm throwing out there. And that is really kind of the birth of pop punk at this point. When we did 97, I don't, I don't think we were at Blink-182 yet. I know we've had Green Day out there. And there was this little band called Goldfinger. We, Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. We had some pop punk bands. Sponge, I would say, was more like a pop punk band in the 90s. They were kicking around. But Goldfinger was the first one that was almost straight in your face three chord songs. And yeah, because it was a little more raw than what Green Day was. Giving it was, them. it was. They weren't trying to necessarily create their three chord songs into yeah. epic radio songs. Yeah. But, or at least Green Day at this point. I mean, if you want to look at, you know, Dookie, Kerplunk and yeah. you know, all the things prior. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they had this song Superman and it almost made my five this week, like really close. I, I almost changed it today, <laughs> but I decided not to because I didn't want to mess with the flow other than a couple of Boston tunes. It's my favorite ska tune from the era. And lyrically, it makes more sense to me the older and older I get. I'll put it in the poll. I hope it gets there on the list. But Superman by Goldfinger, you know, it's all about getting old and looking back and trying to match what you were doing when you were younger in your prime. And yeah, it's a song made to hit you when you're older. It is. Absolutely. It didn't hit me when it came out. It was really a case yeah. of maybe like 10 years ago, I was walking down the street and it came on some random Spotify playlist. And I was like, I relate to this now. Yeah. 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 I've had, you get plenty. I love those moments with songs where you just have that. Oh shit moment. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not putting it on the five, but I'm telling people Goldfinger. Put it on the five. Yes. So <laughs> that was a big honorable mention. What else have yeah. you got for us? Okay, outside of the whole shit show that is pop, <laughs> um, <laughs> there is in the late '90s diversity because we've you know overall because we've talked about swing and we got the ska, but then I'll, we also have electronic music from Fatboy Slim and Chemical Brothers in the mainstream. Listen, hearing them on the radio, 
and then pop punk all you know alt rock bands like you've talked about you know you got your eve sixes and your mxpx garbage uh we've already mentioned google dolls yeah and they're all being played side by side with swing and ska and bands like pearl jam corn godsmack on one radio station it's you know they haven't all just you know truncated down to this the the new metal or the alt rock sound that gets dominated at one point or another and it's strange to think that two guys like us who like a real eclectic broad range of music get really annoyed by what was going on in 98 with these <laughs> yeah bands. i know because there probably are other years where we could have these bands that could cross these genres this way and we'd be really excited about it but i think the mm-hmm. problem is is that it has all those genres all going back and forth is this the case of the record labels just trying to see what's going to stick at this point and yeah because there's no one big thing yeah nothing's really broken out yet that the pearl jam album yield that has grown a lot on me over the years i came away from the first three albums not really paying attention to much that came after that and this album is more adult I don't think I was ready for it when it came out. <laughs> As I've gotten older, I've really learned to appreciate it a lot more. And yeah, like- that album really, really aged well. I dropped ap- after, I think Vitology was before that one, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that was when they kind of lost me because I'm like, yeah, this just really isn't my jam anymore. Same for me. And I had Yield. I owned it. I bought it on CD. I remember having it in my collection and not really ever finding that time where I had the need to listen to the Pearl Jam record the way that I had to with the earlier ones. Yeah. It's weird how sometimes you find yourself buying a CD from a band almost out of duty to the band. Yeah. Like you almost feel a sense of responsibility to support them. Yep. But really I I do remember given the fly that is, I played that quite a bit this week because that's still a really good song. That and wishlist is a good song off that album. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wishlist. Definitely. good, Good tunes. And when it came to the electronic music that you were talking about, I definitely got into that stuff when I was over in the UK, Fat Boy Slim, I think Moby was about to pop oh, out yep. and hit the scene, but he may have had some songs on the radio. I think his album comes out the next year, but in 99, but we, you get those singles that get released. Yeah, he and, was hovering and he was around. He just didn't have, yeah. you know, mainstream, you know, not quite yet, yet, but he was there. But I'd been in the UK nightclubs and experienced large dance floors and smoke and swooping lights with this stuff. (laughs) And it was something completely different than anything I'd experienced in Vermont. (laughs) And when I returned to the States, I enjoyed putting on the chemical brothers because it brought me back to those good times. I liked it. Yeah, it was, um, what, what, what do we call it? Uh, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. I think we both grew up with a generation of people around us, maybe older than us who absolutely hated the electronica music that was going on in the 80s. Yes. And as it progressed and advanced, I think by the time it got to the mid-90s, that kind of dance floor music had really matured to the point that you could have a full three-and-a-half, four-minute cohesive song out of somebody spinning record samples. Yeah, and I think almost the time and the place where we grew up, it was almost like... uh, it's almost like it was a, a masculinity thing. Yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it was a hit against your masculinity. If you liked electronic music, don't you dance, don't you don't dance, you dance. <laughs> <laughs> but 
lose. <laughs> <laughs> One of my absolute favorite bands of the time was Cake. They're prolonging the Magic album. Got a ton of back-to-back listens for me and back-to-back and back-to-back. I would just listen to it <laughs> on repeat over and over. I really probably annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> so so much that I was really surprised that I didn't end up with anything from it in my list this week. I thought Satan is My Motor was a shoo-in, but I, I just killed this album by listening to it too much. I almost couldn't even listen to more than maybe like 30 seconds and i'm like oh not enough time has passed (laughs) you know and i'm really hoping i get that that time back because i know how much this album meant to me at the time i hope you get that time back too i liked that album a lot but the minute i saw it was from this year when i was looking through lists of albums (laughs) i stepped back because i knew you had a bigger relationship with it and with cake the band i was just closer to the hits than you know, really kind of the deeper tracks that they had. Yeah, I remember I was filling out my five and I put cake, but then I, right after a cake, I said TBD. <laughs> you know, in, in, instead of listing all the songs that were off the top of my head. <laughs> and I looked at the album and I was like, I know that song never there from the radio. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice tight bass it's a line. Great bass line. Yeah, it is. In the shop at work, we had a radio tuned into, into a local rock station. They played mostly the classics, but the newer stuff too. This is where I was getting like Bare Naked Ladies, Train, New Radicals, Dave Matthews Band, The Page and Plant, Walking into Clarksdale yeah. album. Those in those stations, they would share a few so- songs with alt rock radio too. You know, your Lenny Kravitz. I hesitate to say Kid Rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Offspring, Marilyn. Hesitate Manson, to say Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should yeah. hesitate to say Marilyn Manson. But, you know, we're all about talking about elephants in the room. And if we're going to talk about shit we hated, then let's talk about Marilyn yeah, Manson. let's do that. <laughs> A lot of that stuff is still on the radio today. It seems like that late 90s stuff just continued being right? what became right? trained, bare naked ladies. They've definitely been kept in rotation. Even if it's maybe today's version of light rock radio that we had as kids growing up. Yeah, but it's but we talked about this. It's like stuff that came out in this era. It's like it became instant classics. I'm sure Eve Six was played today on 99.9 The Buzz. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Would not doubt it. But one of the bands you mentioned, though, I'm going to go to is the Beastie Boys, because I am a huge Beastie Boys fan. And the Hello Nasty album, I got to admit, it's not one of my favorite albums. It's probably their most successful album for sales. It's still a lot of fun. This is the album yes. where they hooked up with Mixmaster Mike and it gave them such a cool sound. I love the, the opening track where it's Mixmaster Mike on the phone. They save yeah. the phone call. It's like, hey, it's Mixmaster Mike and I can do these things for you. You know, they, they just put it right into the story of them all yeah. playing together. He gave them a really cool sound. and I had a hard time passing over anything from the album for my five this week. It's another case of please let the poll put something from this album on there. And I think it will. I think the audience, it seems yeah, so I obvious. Think the audience will pick something from this. I, I yeah, I hope yeah, they do. Too. I had the chance to see mix master Mike spin records at club toast in Burlington back in the day. Oh, really? That must've been fun. In the marriage of his beats to the beasties. It worked brilliantly. That's so, that's so, so now we're, you're going to make me go down from the highest of the highs <laughs> to the lowest of the lows. 
one of the best albums of the year in 1998 to one of the worst, Uh the atrocity that was Van Halen 3. There was so much hype surrounding this album coming out. Extreme's Gary Sharon joined as the new singer. And I don't think the issue was Sharon. I liked Extreme and they had found some success. It just wasn't a good fit. And while I don't want to, I don't want to blame Sharon, but he definitely did sing like he was trying to not be himself. Yeah, I I wanted to like this album. I didn't give it any attention back in the day. I wasn't really paying attention to what Van Halen was doing. I think I remember seeing the music video premiere and going, okay, and then moving onward. But since Eddie died, I've gone back and tried to really appreciate everything that he contributed and the great amount of music that he has in his catalog. But I agree with your assessment. This is not a good album. And I don't no. think it's Gary Sharon's fault. I liked him with Extreme. I think we we bonded over Extreme back in the day when we were, you know, teenagers. Oh, hell yeah. We we really liked Pornography. That album is probably something we'll eventually talk about on this show. We just haven't hit the year. But on this album, the songwriting wasn't there. It sounds like maybe Eddie was trying to match Extreme and write a bad Extreme album as far as guitar riffs go. I have no doubt that Eddie Van Halen would still be considered, you know, the the maestro of electric and in, in this, this type of metal compared to Nuno Betancourt. But there are times where mm-hmm. I really feel like Eddie's trying to play like Nuno or he's trying to think outside the box or what would Nuno do here instead of... There are definite songs on that album where I can hear maybe it's Gary Sharon's influence. Hey, try this, try this. Cause that's what Nuno yeah, would do. Yeah. Cause Nuno is a hell of a guitar yeah. player. And then the final song on the album is featuring Eddie on vocals. And it's weird. It it's at mm. first I started listening to it and I was like, Oh, you know what? This is just different. And I'm going to listen to it and come up with some excuse for Matt on the show as to why this is, it, <laughs> it kind of ventures into that Roger Waters territory. And I was intrigued by it. But two minutes into it, it was just repetitive and boring. And yeah, it didn't it didn't sail for me. Yeah. And and I hadn't made that Roger Waters connection until until you mentioned it. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's 100 percent right vocally. He definitely has some Roger Waters yeah, vibes yeah. there. And I was drawn into that song at first too, because you could hear the hits on the piano. Yes. Like, like, like the attacks. It was all with with uh, earbuds in it felt like it was right next yeah. to you. Yep. But then, yeah, 30 seconds in, I think it was right around when Gary Sharon came in. I'm like, oh, this. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine being in a studio writing and recording these songs and convincing yourself this is good? Listen to Without You, one of Eddie's solos. It's one of his more clean sounding ones. It sounds like he's out of tune or in a different key. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it does sound like... I don't know how that slips by you. It does sound like that. And I think this is the case of the ego of an artist getting too grand. Good for you, Eddie, for wanting to build your own studio, 5150, do your own stuff all the time. But boy, could you imagine if before everything had finished, Rick Rubin had gotten hold of them to go into a different studio and record? Yeah. (laughs) You know... They they never would have seen him. And when he and when they did see him, he would have come back and said, no, <laughs> you're right. Try yep. again. You're right. <laughs> you're right. 
All right. So at the beginning of this show, you mentioned something about payola. We were talking about that and what was going on. And I think there's a story you might've been talking about, but do you want to elaborate a little bit for us or we can clear the air? Okay. 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 So you're giving me permission to crap on Limp Biscuit. Just take a big old crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Too bad. Too bad. I can't. This wasn't payola. Oh. So it, it was something called pay for play. Th there's a real fine line here. So, and it was the radio station's idea. At least that's the story now. But back in 98, Limp Bizkit kind of ate a shit sandwich. <laughs> but what, <laughs> so what's the difference? Disclosure. A radio station is required to disclose if they're being paid to play songs on the air and refer to it as sponsored airtime. Mm -hmm. Then you have pay for play. Otherwise, if you're just paying a DJ or a radio station without, you know, that disclosure, then you get payola. So it's it's a little bit of a loophole, and we could talk a long time about millions of dollars of fines that have been paid out. Because we could probably do a whole episode a, called Payola and just oh, feature well known oh, yeah. songs that people know. That yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm certain it happens now, but I'm pretty sure that it happens more in larger cities. You know, your New Yorks, your Boston's, or because of conglomerates like your clear channels your eye oh absolutely you know i'm sure that's where we're get where you know where we get into yeah, that it. makes sense um be, because it's essentially manipulating people into thinking something is more popular than it mm -hmm. is right and but pay for play is what limp biscuit and their song counterfeit benefited from a portland oregon radio station made a deal with interscope records to play counterfeit 50 times over five weeks for $5,000. But each time before the song was played, they aired a disclosure saying that this is a paid sponsorship. This is paid airtime. We're being paid to play this song. This station, in their defense, though, they really believe that this song could be a hit because they saw that Limp Biscuit, while, you know, your personal tastes aside, they were something different than the than what was going yep. on you know and i'm sure they wanted the money oh yeah <laughs> you know i'm sure they viewed it as a win-win yeah. i i guess the advantage is having five grand to spend period to get those plays <laughs> yeah you know, the record company to do that for you because you know a lot of local small bands that have great music will never have that opportunity and if limp biscuit had yes. sucked it, it would not have caught on those 50 plays over the five weeks probably wouldn't have been enough if anything, maybe people were just intrigued by the disclosure that played before it played, you know, because they were like, what the fuck is this shit? And then all of a sudden there, <laughs> there was, but people aren't going to just accept garbage because it's been put in front of them. Limp Biscuit were probably wise to make this deal, even if it didn't age well and looking back on it, at least it was an exciting sound in that moment. Like you were saying, they were something new coming out. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's about all I can say and, and contribute to shitting on them because that that's, there's really not much there other than saying it didn't age. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Right. it's, it's, it's so disappointing Damn. because, because after looking back on these late nineties, you want to just crap on everything, but you put you got to put yourself back in the moment and Limp Bizkit was, dare I say, cutting edge at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kinda. kinda don't don't but don't quote me 
<laughs> Matt, Matt Grinder says, <laughs> "I don't, I don't, I don't need quotes like that coming back." <laughs> so er, earlier, I said, "Let's get all the negativity out of the yes. way." But I think we both knew that's where most of the conversation <laughs> would stay. <laughs> Overall, 1998 and really all of these late 90s years, they're not strong ones for either no. of us. From the boring sound of like pop, overplayed hits, lame attempts at hating on Limp Biscuit, <laughs> <laughs> and even a, and even a more lame Van Halen record. I think ska and swing are probably the bright spots. Yeah, except for our five songs. That's right. We've got our five songs. <laughs> I chose to drag us through the quagmire of 1998, so I guess I'll get the ball rolling. And I'll start with what some people might say is an overplayed hit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go with The Way by Fastball. How did you not have fatigue from this song? I thought I did. And then I played it. And then I'm like, okay, it's. I think I haven't listened to it in enough time where I'm like, okay with it. Yeah. But and I, I have no special attachment to it. And when it comes on the playlist, I may skip it, you know, and I re, I may regret it. Uh, but I did get some enjoyment out of this week. Not too many listens because I don't think I need to hear it because I know it in my head, right? But it does, it's got a good, it's got a good melody that just kind of sticks in your head. It's a little bit of an earworm. And I hadn't heard it in years and I felt like adding a more popular song this week because I typically don't. Matt picks a popular song. <laughs> it, it's a good tune. Uh, I've really not got much else to add to that other than I just, I love the monotone vocal. It's very easy to just pick right up and sing along with. There's no challenge to it, but it's great melody and hook. Yeah. It's a very singable melody and the, the notes that he sings, they're very easily reachable by by probably everybody so you can all just have a sing-along there you go good good first choice all right so what is your first choice well jim's not gonna pick popular music this week maybe something you might know but my first song i'm gonna go with is ozamotley and the song is called cut chemist sweet that's probably gonna sound really confusing to people (laughs) now one thing to be immediately made clear this is not really the sound of Ozamotli. While they do have a lot of layers and world sounds, this track itself features DJ Cut Chemist. So you see the title, Cut Chemist Suite, and Charlie Tuna from Jurassic 5. The song to me actually sounds like a very vintage J5 tune. I think it was a case of maybe one band giving the other one a step up because J5 had maybe gotten there. And so... They brought in Ozmotley and worked on a song with them on a title track. And obviously all the J5 fans like myself are going to run out and buy this because it's great. This track is, it's not great. It's dope. D-O-P-E. <laughs> and there's no getting around that. Cut Chemist is spending great music. And Charlie Tuna has that deep vocal tone that was just created for hip hop. And I think anyone out there that likes hip hop will enjoy this cut. I am so happy I know this exists now. I had never heard of Ozamotli. Yeah. And this sounds like it's from much earlier in the 90s. Mm-hmm. 
his yeah his flow is really cool and that that funk bass riff that is in the song that is awesome yeah they're they're good it, if it were me i might have finished on this song because it's awesome it is that good but maybe <laughs> it because it's uh you know so unique and i want to make a big stamp on it i'm going to start with it so Ozamotley, cut chemist sweet all right yeah, what is your choice. second choice um i'm going to go with circles by soul coughing mm -hmm. you know this is typical soul coughing right it's laid back just like the chill cool attitude in their songs i love mike Doty's voice it's very it's very unique and for jim you have some upright bass yeah I, I was a soul coughing fan I've seen them live. I enjoyed their shows. They're one of those bands that's a three-piece, very eclectic, very kind of strange in sound at times. Mm -hmm. But if there's one thing I remember that's an absolute about being at their show is that I danced the whole time. And I, I find that very interesting when I go back and listen to their music because it doesn't feel like that kind of music when you're listening to it. But then when you're there, it has that feel and that flow. Yeah, it's almost like not like dancing. It's almost just like letting your body flow and move. It is. It is. There's something to it that's really cool. And this song, I always like Circles. It was a radio hit. It, yeah. Matt, here you are coming back with another I song. I know. Yeah. Two. It was, a, it was a big song on the radio and it's time. I grew to appreciate this more when I was playing with musicians out and about and somebody would get up and do a solo acoustic version of it. And my brain went, I didn't realize you could do that with circles, but I still copy And I learned how to play it. And it, it is, it's uh, just, and once again, once again, that kind of monotone vocal, anybody can sing it. it yes. It's, it's accessible to everybody and it's got a great pop hook. So yes, it does. well done on your first two choices. of wow. <laughs> I got Jim's brand of uh, certification, I guess, or approval, I guess we'll say. So, what is your number two then? My number two. I am going to go with the song Baby Britain by Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith is another tragic tale of artists that we've spoken about over the course of the show. I won't go into full detail today. Maybe the year that we cover when he passed away, we'll talk about it. But he was another singer-songwriter who had a lot of inner demons. His music was deliberately pensive and reflective of everyday life. And this song definitely fits into the entire indie pop label. Maybe this was where indie pop kind of came out of. It's got a cutesy piano driving the fun and swinging bass line. I got to play this in a band and it was so much fun to play. It, it was almost jazzy. I didn't know that this wasn't a hit song. When I played this in a cover band that I was in, somebody else had chosen it. And I thought, oh, I must have just missed this because... This should have been a radio tune. It has everything you need for it to be uh, accessible for people to listen to. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't a single because yeah. it, it exactly sounds like what a single should have been. Mm -hmm. So this makes two Elliot Smith songs I know by name. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect with this one because he can be a little bit of what you don't care for, especially you brought up the whole anything and it's kind of whispery on a lot of his songs. So I was really curious what set it apart. I just listened to it. I mean, it's definitely not what I expected from him. It was kind of upbeat. There's something about that kind of piano part in a song that kind of hooks me in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can just listen to it over and over. So, so just so the audience understands in 10 more years, people, Matt will accept the whispery stuff. 
<laughs> you you use the word so i had to say it yeah. <laughs> wait till we get to 2008 people there's plenty of whispers <laughs> all right Chip day. <laughs> what is your third <laughs> song all right my third one is going to be dr worm by they might be giants i've never been a huge they might be giants fan but i remember hearing this song for the first time and those horns that come in, they remind me of a lot of 70s songs that I would hear on AM radio. Very much a 70s vibe. Kind of like, you know, like Ides of March, how they have that that horn beginning. Um, I just enjoyed the playful and happy sounds that they make. I liked it. I enjoyed listening to the song. It reminded me of a 1960s, 1970s British television show theme song. If I could maybe <laughs> kind of give you what the feel was to it. The the horns coming in, it was, yeah, like you talk, it's like turning on an AM radio. There's just something that's very throwback to it. But then yes. I think the reason why I think television show is because they might be giants are really good with creating a canvas uh, that's visual in their lyrics. Yes. And so that's what this does for me. It, it's kind of like a, like a, a Batman, James Bondy kind of theme feel, something going on. But yeah, it was fun. It was good. Good yeah. choice. And hey, everybody, They Might Be Giants, Dr. Worm was not a hit song. So Matt's back in track. Hey, that's right. <laughs> and it, it, it was actually, well, I think it was like a new song off of a live album. Oh, okay. There you go. But yeah, I don't think it was a hit. I got to get my cred back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where are you taking us next for your third? All right, so for my third one, I'm going to go with, and funny thing is, American people are going to be like, oh, I don't know that guy. And this is where my hipster British friends, especially Sandy, they're going to groan when I say it is Robbie Williams, she's the one. Uh, I don't know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to try and give this song much artistic credibility. Robbie Williams was on a run of hits after successfully departing from Britain's biggest boy band of the moment take that I, I think john even makes a joke about take that in the 1995 episode yeah. you know <laughs> so it, it, it's it definitely has a stigma attached to it and him coming from them i would say though that robbie williams stepped away from the boy band in an honorable way in as much as like justin timberlake was able to do the same thing and go out and be successful so it, he, he has that going for him I do think this is a good pop song and I like how it's recorded. I like the sound of it, but I've got a sentimental attachment to it as well. The first time I ever came to visit Linda over here in the UK, I'd gotten on the plane to go home and there was a little headphone jack in the armrest back in the day before planes had too much fancy stuff going on. And I plugged my phone, my, my headphones in, put them on and this song started playing and, you know, the message, if there's somebody calling you out, she's the one. It, it was one of those moments where I was flying away and knew that that was probably the most significant person I was going to meet in my life. And this song was telling me that. Oh, awesome. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. This this is a good song. And this is 1,000 times better than any of the pop music happening over here. <laughs> in 1998 <laughs> so so sandy stop groaning and 
listen to some of the other pop music happening in 1998 in america yeah in america this is a masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) and your first three songs have been all that as far as i'm concerned they're obscure i don't know how far his music made it in the u.s i've heard a couple songs here or there so i don't think we get that reputation of him that you're kind of alluding to with the whole boy band thing yep that maybe we will with harry styles Oh, that's right. Yeah, maybe. But like I said, it's a hell of a lot better than the pop crap I listened to on Spotify's (laughs) playlist this week. I can imagine. (laughs) I'm scarred for life, Jim. I don't blame you (laughs) for being scarred. No, blame me. I did it for myself. I was talking to some friends the other night and describing our show to them and the research we put into it. And I told them that you'd listened to the entire Billboard playlist (laughs) from 1998. And they all just had this... Look. They, gave the stink, they gave you the stink eye like what's yeah like that guy uh-huh. how much time do you have let me tell you what's wrong with that <laughs> all right that's my third what is your fourth all right i'm bringing out the cool here and baby i'm drunk by reverend horton heat finally get to put a reverend horton heat song on next to cake this was my favorite album from 1998 space heater Unlike Cake, though, I could still listen to this. It's less rockabilly than their older stuff, but it's great. It's awesome. Reverend, he's no stranger to releasing songs like this. I got a little bit of a sense of humor. And it's got more upright bass for you, Jim. Jim <laughs> Jimbo rocks. That's the bass player. You rock too, Jim, but Jimbo Wallace is the man. Yeah, he is. He <laughs> is such a great bass player. I, and this, this was fun. It was great to find this song and listen to it. I, uh, I've never had the same appreciation for Reverend Horton heat that you had never really got into them. So this was the first week that I deep dived them a little bit further and whatever you want to say sets them apart one way or the other, they have their own sound. Yes, they really do. They fall, they fall into almost their own genre Mm -hmm. and it has that influence of rockabilly and everything that was happening but it takes it to that next step, that next level. So if you thought about genres advancing one over the other, some might take longer, some are flash in the pan. This was that genre of rockabilly taking another step up. Great. Oh yeah. And and space heater is more of their rock album. If you go to listen, like the full custom gospel sounds of Reverend Horton, he or uh, martini time, you're going to get a more of a raw sound. Yep. Yeah, you know, they but that that's what happens, you know, as groups mature. Yeah. All righty. So where are you gonna take us next, Jim? Next, I'm gonna take us to the song Last Stop This Town by the Eels or Eels. All I can say is that when I was digging through all the craft from this week and came across this song, I immediately was like, Yeah, that's going on. It's not my favorite song of all time. It's not something that I would go back and listen to daily, but back in 1998. I just love the quirkiness of it so much. And it still doesn't bother me now. Instrumentally, the way that it's written, it's not conventional. There's a different dynamic to it. And I'm I'm happy to bring it here for it to be revived. The cool instrumentation stuff going on. And then it has that fun, playful vocal going on with the high vocal singing this mm-hmm. part and, and then the bass singing this part as it goes through. It's, it's just a cool tune. It's fun. Yeah, it is. I'm glad you put it on the list because I almost did. And then I don't know, maybe fastball beat it out. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> but Eels is still 
around and making this kind of interesting music. Yeah. I, 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 I've avoided a deep dive into them, but I'm because they're kind of like out of, out of sight, out of mind most of the time. But every time I hear them, I pay attention. They still tour. They're still playing. They play here in Scotland quite a bit every time they're out and about. And I've got friends who are on their way to go see Eels you know, on the nights that they come around. Yeah. So they're, they're a good band. I got nothing but respect for a band like Eels. Yeah. They're, they're really good. All right, Matt, you got to wind us up. What is your fifth? My fifth is vodka. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> My fifth song is Poets by the Tragically Hip. And I'll lead off with an honorable mention to Bob Cajun. Uh, maybe I should rescind fastball and add that instead. Uh, <laughs> we've talked a few times about how great the hip are. Poets is one of my favorite songs by them. This there's a shaker or something in the drum beat that is just it just sits right in my head and it catches me. Yeah. And Gord, he's always got something interesting to say. And the vocal melody on here is perfect. I love it. It's a good song, and and Bob Cajun also. Bob Cajun's their most played song on Spotify. Oh, that, really? Yeah, so you almost picked their most popular song. It would have almost been a popular tune. The the Canadians, eh? <laughs> they would have been very happy. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> but a great song and a great T-Hip song. And I'm glad you keep bringing T-Hip to the show every once in a while because they're one of those bands that that never really broke out of Canada but uh, really knows how to throw down a rock song. Yeah. And just straight without trying to reinvent a rock song every single time without also sounding like it's gotten stale. Yeah. And they're never trying to do something they, they don't know how to do. No, no. You know, you, you never, they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And that's why everything they do feels real. It just feels authentic. It does. They're just being the. They're just being themselves. Yeah, very real, authentic band. So good stuff. All right. So you're going to close out your five with. I'm going to close my five out with, the offspring. The kids aren't all right. This is going to be controversial amongst my two cool friends, but I don't care. It's weird. The group <laughs> of guys that I was running around with at the time, for some reason, we kind of pooed the offspring. Nah, they're not cool. This is cool, and. I kind of always would go back and listen to the offspring when nobody else was looking like, oh, <laughs> no, this is cool. This is kind of good. They're a great punk rock band and they write amazing hooks. And this is my favorite song by them. It's absolutely relentless. It starts up like a V8 going 120 miles an hour and it never lets up. These guys always have something interesting to say. Most of their songs and the social commentary about the youth of that time is still relevant today. It's fast, it's full of melody, and it still rocks just enough to not be pop punk. And I don't include them under that umbrella. I think they're just a little bit different than that. Yeah, calling them pop punk, that might be an insult. Yeah. Yeah, because they're definitely not, you know, MXPX. No. <laughs> I said that name twice in this episode. But <laughs> something tells me that if you were the right age when this came out that opening riff would become part of your personal soundtrack i agree with that 100 yeah that opening riff is great yeah. and i also think that if the offspring had come out with this album and that opening riff in 1991 they'd probably be just as revered as a lot of the other 90s bands mm -hmm. they would have been yep yep so. i agree 
So there we go. Are you happy to be done with 1998, Matt? Oh, geez. I can't express my happiness. enough. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was not the worst year for us to cover. And we were at least out no. of the 2000s and not swimming in a sea of something we had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was more just um, we had aged out. Yeah. You know, there's just not a lot of emotional attachment. That's yep. pretty much yep. where it is standing. So we're finishing up this show. As we finish it up, we always announce the next episode. So we will be leading towards Christmas. And I think we should throw together a little Christmas special for everybody. Even if it's like the Thanksgiving show and it's a shorter episode for people to have time to listen to over the weekend. I think it's something you sh- that we should do. What do you think? I feel like you're revving me up to have a rant. No, <laughs> we will. We'll try to have the right kind of Christmas show. Okay. Yeah. The kind where Matt comes down and does still enjoy watching his boys unwrap the presents, <laughs> even if he does. <laughs> and he does like the food and he does like, yeah, all of that stuff. Maybe just, I'll buy myself a star Wars toy and wrap maybe, it up so I can open it on air. Just maybe not the music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So are you ready to do our Christmas episode then? I have no choice. I'm going to be. All right. So we're going to do the Christmas <laughs> episode next. And we don't know. We'll let you know when the show starts. We're going to chat this week. Maybe it'll be about Christmas music. Maybe it'll, it'll be about releases that come out Christmas yeah. week. We can talk a little bit about the Christmas number one phenom that happens over here in the UK. I think that'll be fun to talk about as well. That could be fun to talk about because that would be something for uh, non-UK listeners to learn about. It would be. It would be. And I think it'd be something for the U.S. to get involved in and have fun with. Yeah, and say, and, and flip that middle finger up to everything that's popular and say, no, we're tired of you jamming something into our ears that we don't want to hear. Well, we will talk about how that happened over here in Christmas episode. <laughs> that, that's a tease. That is a tease. <laughs> All right, Matt, it's your turn to wrap the show up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the GM Yearbook. Thank you for listening to version 1998. I hope your experience was better than ours. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am Matt, and that is... I am Jim. Peace, love, and podcast. Mm-hmm.